This morning, we want to pick up in verse 21 of chapter 2. We have studied uh, Jesus being born and the angels appearing to shepherds in a field, uh, obscure uh, shepherds that nobody seems to like uh, appearing to them in a field, calling to them saying, the salvation of the Jews has come. And they get excited and they run into Bethlehem and they find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, which is where most of us know where the story is. So this morning we're going to pick up in verse 21. We're going to read all the way through verse 38. So let's read together Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 38. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to, what the, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and spoke of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And may God add his blessing to the hearing and the reading of his word. We come to this picture of a godly man who has been doing 
his devout duty day by day, waiting for the Lord to move. And he is old. And a godly woman who has been doing her duty day by day, and she is also old. They are older. They are um, honorable. They are elderly. And they are tired. I know they're tired because they're super excited to see this baby, which means they have been waiting for some time. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes we get tired of doing the same faithful routine every day. We get tired of of being consistent. And yet, I believe in this story, one of the things we see is that consistency and faithfulness is honored here by God. Is honored by God. Jesus comes to us through the Jews in this story who are expectant and filled with hope. But they have been waiting a long time. Indeed, there has been 400 years of silence for these two saints. Do you remember in Ezekiel, chapter 39, when Ezekiel comes to the Lord and the Lord says, Ezekiel, can these... He takes him to the valley of dry bones and he says, Ezekiel, can these bones lift? And Ezekiel very wisely answers, Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you know. Because he doesn't want to say yes or no. He goes, you know the answer. And he... He then sees this vision of the bones coming to life and the Spirit of the Lord filling them. And if you continue to read, he sees this vision of the temple being filled with the Spirit of the Lord and there's a trickle coming out of the altar, a trickle of water that comes out of the altar and goes back out the back of the temple and it goes out into the back of the temple and Ezekiel is given a measuring angel with a tape measure and it's the weirdest thing ever. Because he's handed this angel, this angel comes and he says, God tells him, okay, Ezekiel, write down everything the angel tells you to write down. And this angel is obsessed with the, with the size of everything. And he begins to measure every little detail and tell, tell him to write down this four cubits by five cubits. And he keeps telling him the size of the temple, the size of the altar, the distance of the stream, and how big everything is. And they walk out and they see this trickle coming out of the altar, and the trickle grows into a river. And then Ezekiel is told, we're going to measure the river. And you've got to wonder if Ezekiel was comfortable with that or if he was wondering, well, I don't think I can swim. I mean, there's an angel of the Lord here, so maybe I'll be safe. But he starts to walk and the, the river gets to ankle high, then knee high, then waist high, then they're, then they're treading water. And they're in the river, along the river, there's these trees that are growing with fruit. And the angel is still obsessively measuring everything. And Ezekiel's going, this is crazy. And what we see here is this story. Jesus comes and from the altar of God, from the temple of God, comes this river of life. That we see this river again in the book of Revelation. It becomes this river of life with trees bearing fruit on each side and everybody who is thirsty can come to the river. Everybody who is hungry can come to the river. And all of a sudden it's open to everyone and Ezekiel's in this river and he's swimming. 
in the river of God, delighting in His presence. This beautiful picture at the end of the Old Testament, we see the temple is built, but it is void of God's Spirit until this story, until we see Jesus born. Luke tells the story of a healer coming to restore the relationship of Christ to people, bypassing a religious system and suddenly making it available to everyone, regardless of their religious affiliation. He says simply, worship Christ. Your religious affiliation is Christ, Jesus himself. So, I I tried to imagine what it would be like to be um, Simeon in this story. And I want to read verses, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read verses 21 and 22, uh, or 21 through 24, I guess, to just get the context of what's going on, and then... I want to dive into who Simeon was and what Simeon was doing, and I believe we'll find a great deal of application through that. So let's go. Verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So he's brought to be circumcised. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of glory, had to be circumcised. He he was circumcised on eight days. This circumcision unites him as a Jew. You see, you're born into Judaism. That is true. But you're not officially a Jew. If you're a male, you're not officially a Jew until you are circumcised. So for eight days, you have to wait to be a Jew. Now, not a big deal for a baby to wait eight days. They're not hanging on pins and needles. But I want you to understand Jesus personally obeys the law. His parents obeyed the law, and he becomes a member of Jewish society. This brought every boy into relationship with the nation. He is officially a Hebrew when he is circumcised. The circumcision connected him to the nation of the Jews. The Hebrews were oppressed and struggling They had a Roman occupying force over them. They had a wicked puppet king in place. They had a very opulent, very beautiful temple that was void of the Spirit of God at this moment. And yet, Jesus submits to the law and obeys the custom of the law to identify with that nation that has ignored the Word of God. He identifies... With that nation, God was building his kingdom in spite of the circumstances that surrounded the Jews. Indeed, the king has walked into the temple, or been carried into the temple, despite the condition of the Jews at this time. The king of glory is coming. There's that old song, God's truth is marching on. That's what's happening in this story. No matter what's going on in the world around us, we need to remember God persists in forward movement. 
No matter what's going on in the world around us, we need to remember that God persists in forward movement. He is always moving, even when you don't see it. And oh, how I need that reminder sometimes. That God is always moving, even when I don't see it. And that He's always working things for His good, even when I don't realize it. Jesus is circumcised here, and He is given the name Jesus, or Yeshua. And if you don't know where that name comes from, um, it's a com- it was a common Jewish name. Uh, it's derivative of the same name as uh, Joshua, or Jehoshua, right? It's not exactly the same. Yeshua is Yahweh saves, or Yahweh's salvation. If you remember back in uh, Exodus, you have uh, Moses, he's got, it's not in, it's in Deuteronomy, Moses has Joshua with him, and Joshua is actually named Hosea, son of Nun. And Moses looks at him and goes, no, nah, I'm going to call you Joshua. He changes his name. He gives him a name that is, uh, connects him directly to Yahweh. You see, the name, uh, the, the beginning prefix of J in our language, but it's a Yod in Hebrew, that beginning prefix tends to be the abbreviation of the name Yahweh. Yahweh, or Jehovah in English. We, we westernize it and we turn that Y into a J. Uh, there's all kinds of etymological reasons, but I'm not getting into those. So the, uh, there's, there's a lot of linguistic things going on there in the Hebrew that we study from Western and Eastern perspectives. So in the Eastern perspective, you'd say Yahweh. In the Western perspective, you'd say Jehovah, right? So we've got this, this name of God, Jehovah, Jehovah Hosea. And so he, Moses takes those two and goes, no, I'm going to use your name, Hosea, and I'm going to use you as a symbol of what God has done. He has rescued us from Egypt. He's going to rescue us through the wilderness. He's going to rescue us all the way through both mountains. And then he's going to rescue us into the promised land. God does constant rescuing. So for your name, Hosea, we're going to take salvation, the name Hosea, and we're going to jam it into Yahweh so that everyone understands when they see Joshua standing at the head of the army of Israel that they go, the Lord saves. The Lord rescues and the Lord saves. It's the Lord who does it. And so here Jesus is given the same name, Yeshua. Slightly different. Here, this is it in Hebrew. If you can see this online, I don't know if you can or not. This is the Hebrew name. You read it right to left. That little comma-looking mark or apostrophe-looking mark on the right, that's the Yod. That's the Y. And then you've got the little pitchfork-looking thing, the, I don't know, number seven-looking thing, and the weird kind of awkward U there on the end. Those things are Shua, or salvation. Right? So he takes... Yahweh's prefix and puts it at the beginning and you get Yeshua. All the vowel markings, by the way, are little dots and dashes that are around it. I left those off of this painting because they're hard to do. So they are not on the painting. So Yeshua is there and that's the name that he's given. Now he doesn't get this name from, jo- from Joseph and Mary. He gets this name from heaven. This happens a few times in scripture that God names somebody. God gives them a name. You've got it with Jacob becoming Israel. God renames Jacob. You've got Isaac being born. He's given the name Isaac by God. You've got Joshua, son of Nun, renamed by Moses. This happens a few times in Scripture. You've got 
Simon Peter being renamed Peter by Jesus. He is given a name from heaven that is perfectly his. Most of the time in Scripture, when we see this name, we see a name change. But here, there is no name change because Jesus was perfectly in line with God from his birth. Even to the point where he is obeying every aspect of the law as an infant. He's being circumcised and he's going to be dedicated at 40 days. He is perfectly in obedience to God. Indeed, his name is indicative of who he is and it is prevalent even at his infancy. He was perfect. Most of us have a name that we've been given by our parents I mean, maybe somebody's got some miraculous story where it was like, this name fell from the sky and landed on me as a boy. You know, I don't know. But most of us have a name that we were given as by parents. My name, John Novus Elkins, and it has a meaning to it. Um, but the real, the, what my parents were thinking was they named me after a missionary to Africa. And my grandfather, Novus, a missionary to Africa, John McFadden, and my grandfather, Novus, and I kept my last name, Elkins, right, which is my dad's last name. So that makes sense. Right? My name, by the way, means grace and sick. Yay! Novus means sick. That's the closest Hebrew cognate I can get. So, John, gracefully sick, and then Elkins means kin to God. That's a great one. I love to tell people what my name means at the end. Like, but evidently I'm sick and grace. I don't, I don't know how that works. So, we... Uh, we have these names that are given to us, and, and if you read the book of Revelation, there's this picture of the end when God gives us a new name. When we have conquered and we have overcome, and it says God will give you a, a stone with a name written on it. It's a weird story, but he gives you a stone with a name written on it. There's a lot there. We're not in Revelation. We're in Luke, so we're not going to dwell on it. stone with a name written on it, and only you and God know what it is, and it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because in the context of a redeeming God who has rescued your soul and brought forth all that you are and made you at every cell of your DNA, He knows every part of you and everything about you and you are His and He knows your name. The real one. Real one. He knows your real name. He knows everything about you. And He gives you that name and you're going to look at it and go... I knew it! I knew it! Because in Him, we find our identity. Glory is revealed. That means your identity, who you are, is revealed in Christ Jesus. So we are given this name. Jesus, on the other hand, is perfect. Perfect. In every way. And His name is given at the beginning. Because He is he is already completely revealed. This is a complete revelation of his character. The name Jesus given to him by heaven. Look when. When was it given to him by heaven? Before he was conceived in the womb. He's had this name from the beginning. It didn't change. It has not altered. Praise the Lord. Yahweh saves. Has not changed. So, we see he's given this name in the womb. In verse 22, it says, And when time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is 40 days after birth. 
the law of purification was that you were supposed to bring the baby back to the temple as like a dedication ceremony 40 days after he's born. They are following every single dash in the law. We find this law in Leviticus, and we see that Mary and Joseph are striving to obey the law. They are striving to obey the law, and Jesus is perfect already. And they come, and it says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer, so they come to do the to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they are bringing the lowest income sacrifice before the Lord. This, the two turtle doves or pigeons is the lowest income sacrifice. And there's a reason, right? God provided for us to be able to make sacrifices even if we have nothing. You know, you know how easy it is to actually catch a pigeon? They're pretty dumb animals. And they're pretty easy to catch. Don't get mad at me because I said pigeons are dumb. They are. Those of you online, relax. <laughs> pigeons are easy animals to cage and to catch. You can, if, if you've ever been to New York... There's pigeons all over Central Park. You can drop a breadcrumb and they will crawl onto your shoe to eat the breadcrumb even if you are holding an axe. You could kill a pigeon, put out a breadcrumb next to the dead pigeon, and the other pigeon's going to come to it. He could have just watched his buddy die. And he's still going to come to it. So they bring two turtle doves or pigeons... Before the Lord. And, and again, I'm not calling them, the Bible's calling them pigeons. So again, no angry emails about me calling turtle doves and sacrifices made to the Lord pigeons. That's what the Bible says. They were pigeons. So he brings them before the Lord. Joseph and Mary bring two turtle doves or two pigeons before the Lord to make sacrifice on behalf of this boy. He is perfectly obeying the law of God. They are doing exactly what they are supposed to do. This is a 40-day-old child, and they are carrying him into the temple to have him dedicated before the Lord. Jesus lives a perfect life, never breaking the law once in his entire life. He lives perfectly righteously before God so that your sins can be put on Him at the cross and He can bear them on your behalf. He is the perfect, spotless Lamb who can take all of your sins, past, present, and future, upon Himself and die on the cross that you could have life and be free. How amazing is that? That you're given freedom and rescue from sin because this baby, even at infancy, is fulfilling the law perfectly. Even at his infancy. Now I take great joy in the fact that the people God chose to raise Jesus are common laborer, a common laborer, and a young 
obscure girl. A common laborer and a young obscure girl are chosen to protect, raise, and take care of the king of all of the universe. Remember last week I asked you how you would introduce Jesus. How would you do it? You'd probably, one, put him in a palace on a hill where everyone could see. You'd have him on every news station. The baby is born! Big headline. There'd be a big bonfire in Texas, right? We'd have a huge bonfire with all kinds of barbecue. Like That would be the Texas way of doing it. We'd be like, we're going to have a bonfire. Everybody come out. We're shooting off fireworks. Woo! That's what we would do. God chooses an obscure teenage girl and a day laborer, a guy that works with his hands. He's called a carpenter in the Bible, which means he worked with wood. It's that simple. He works with his hands. He's not wealthy. We know he's not wealthy because he moves to Bethlehem and evidently doesn't go back to Nazareth afterwards, which means he didn't have much to return to. He goes to Bethlehem for the census and gets stuck there. But he's a worker, and he works hard, and he provides for his family. He's a normal, everyday person. And God chose him, not Herod. God chose him, not the Roman king. God chose this obscure day laborer to make his glory known. Indeed, he can use obscure people in a small town in the middle of Texas to change the world. He can use you, he can use me, he can use us to do it. Though we have sinned against God, the lawgiver, Jesus has lived a perfect life since birth to rescue us, ordinary people. So I think about Simeon now, and and we consider this king who is being brought before the Lord. And I just want you to imagine this, right? There's a, a big temple, and it's got this massive, massive walls all the way around. And you walk in, and you, you and your wife are walking in carrying the king of all glory. And there's an old man who, you know, some people know, some people don't. He's not necessarily famous, but he's been around. And he's one of these old men that you look at and... I imagine Simeon being one of those guys that, you know, you look at him and you feel like he's looking into your soul. You met those types of people? They terrify me. They do. I've met lots of them, and they frighten me. Some of you think that I'm that way. Trust me, I don't see inside your soul. Um, if it made you more confession-oriented to think that I saw inside your soul, just forget that I said that. So, we have this, this image of an older man who I think probably was the type that you started talking to and he just looked at you with intensity, right? And there's just a measure of discomfort when you talk to this guy. Now you walk in with your baby and suddenly this old man walks up and grabs your kid. That's what it says. They walk in and here in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we have this man who's in the temple who's waiting. And I think I tried to get into the head of Simeon, and this is the best I could do. The Spirit led me again to the place of sacrifice, the place of life. 
where the years of wait and strife are healed for a moment with a knife. The stone edifice protecting the worshippers, reflecting while my own religious piety is slowly defecting. How much longer, Spirit, must I wait to hear your voice shatter this monotonous display of triviality? Now I stand and wait for you to come and alleviate this terrible fate of silence. My aging hands tremble as thoughts of redemption assemble within my own soul, hoping the collected sorrow of broken men who live on borrowed time gathers around to worship longing. Longing for your voice to speak, the voice of the physician to seek out the dead, to rescue us from this silent dread. I must confess, I'm wearied of waiting. The days grow dark and the light is fading, but I wait for your promised river of life waiting. Ezekiel knew your river would come, yet you, yet surrounded by stone walls, I wonder, will you come as you have said? Will your spirit show me the promise of life? Or will I stand here a monument to the silent God? You spoke before. Speak now. You promised I'd see the King of glory and before Him bow. Bring the healing our hearts so desperately need now. So I imagine Simeon in this state of desperation. Just, Lord, I come here every day waiting for You to show up. I come here every day waiting for you to show up. Look, he is righteous. Look at how it's described. He is righteous and devout. Not only is he a man who is pursuing holiness, he is also devout, consistent. He's the guy, so let's put it this way, he's the guy who's at church all the time. He's the guy who, who rejoices in religious activity. Who, When there's a worship service, he's present. Because he knows that the Lord shows up in the religious activity that is pointed at him. So he knows it's coming. He knows that's where to meet with God. And he's constant and faithful. Oh, there are so many in this world who are not consistent and faithful to attend the regular religious activities that we have. They're not devout. They may love they may love the Lord. They may be pursuing holiness. But there's a second part here. Devout. Faithful. Consistent. He's, he's constantly present. He works to get there. I will tell you, my own personal experience is that it is tiring to remain devout. But if I am not devout, I won't hear him. If I'm not devout, I won't hear him except when he yells. You see, my devotion to God, my faithfulness to read the Word, my faithfulness to gather with the saints, my faithfulness to worship in community together, my faithfulness to train my heart to religious observance and activity, my faithfulness to do that lets me hear the whisper. It lets me hear the gentle nudge. It enables me to hear the Lord more clearly. 
Simeon, I think, knew that. I think Simeon understood that he, he is in Jerusalem. He's waiting and devout. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he's filled with the Spirit. Indeed, we, we maintain personal devotions and worship with the saints and gathering together, as Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. We maintain those things for the sake of our joy that we could hear the Lord speak. And this is a weird thing to say in 2020 when we've been given an excuse to stay home in the name of some virus and online connection. I tell you, it is very tempting for me every week to cut out the online connection. Because though I love you guys online, though I love that you can join us, you aren't here. And I miss your face. You see me. I see a phone. It's different. And I want to see your face. Simeon is faithful and devout. He continues Like Simeon, we ought to be the same way. We ought to wait and press into righteousness and pursue holiness and listen to the Spirit. You want to know how to hear from God. You want to know how to hear from God. It's not hard. It's not hard to hear from God. Be like Simeon. Righteous and devout. That means pursuing holiness and disciplined in your spiritual walk. Righteous and devout. Second, he is waiting for the Lord. He's not clouding his mind with other things. He's not clouding his time with other things. He is waiting for the Lord to speak. This is what he does. He waits on the Lord. And then finally, he is filled with the Spirit. The easiest way to achieve this is simply... To be devout in your disciplined religious practice. Read your Bible. Pray. Go to church. Call other saints. Worship the Lord in song. Fill your head with beautiful things of God. Fill your head with the beautiful things of God. I guarantee you will find that you are filled with the Spirit on a great and high level. That's how you wait on the Lord. And Simeon has waited on the Lord for some time, and he had been revealed to him that he would see that he that the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in verse twenty seven, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. So Simeon is following the lead of God in his righteousness and devoutness. He is going into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon grabs the baby in his arms and blessed God and said, so just, I want you to get the picture. Old guy grabs your kid and raises him up to bless him. I don't know if Simeon looked crazy, but I just have to imagine some of the older men that I have known in churches grabbing my child 
and raising them near. I might recognize that that person is an old, righteous man, but there's a part of me that's like standing underneath him. Like, don't drop him. You know, there's a part of me that's a little bit awkward. Like, oh, thanks, old man. Please move along. Can I have my kid back? You know, there's, there's a part of me that looks at this and thinks, this is really uncomfortable. And he says, Lord, now, okay, I'm going to read this. this. If you have the ESV, this is an odd translation. Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace. It reads this, despot, oh despot, you have now set your slave free into peace. Oh despot, it's the word despot, it's not the word curios, we would expect the word curios when we see my lord, right? I mean, that word means master, sovereign, kingly ruler. This word is despota, we get our word despot from it, despot or master, slave owner. This man takes the baby and goes, Oh, despot. Oh, slave master. You have now set your slave free into peace. Simeon's very opening confession is, I have been at war. I've been enslaved to war until this child came. I have been internally enslaved until this child arrived and now I'm rescued. You have set me free. That's Simeon's confession here. According to your word, God has kept his promise to this man. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding the baby again. For my eyes have seen your salvation and seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So not only does he recognize that he was enslaved, he recognizes everyone in the world is enslaved, and everyone needs the freedom, even the Gentiles. Note the difference between the shepherds and Simeon here. The shepherds, a light for your people. Simeon, a light for all peoples. For all the Gentiles. I think the older I get, the more I recognize that I am no better than anyone else. The older I get, the more I recognize the enslavery of everyone. And how I have been graced to be set free by my despot. By my master. I suddenly recognize I'm no better or worse than the guy down the street from me. Oh, He makes horrible decisions in his life. That guy down the street. But so would I. And so do I. And I'm not redeemed because I made the right decision at some point. I'm redeemed because my master has come and set me free. Into peace and out of war. I'm in peace because he set me free. Not because I did the right thing or chose the right steps. Because he rescued me and he could do the same for anyone who would simply trust in him he can set you free verse 31 you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation to the gentiles so this is the revelation so the sudden appearing to the gentiles 
and for glory for your people Israel. So revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, me, I get to see it, and I get to rejoice in it, and I get to be set free as well. But to the Jews, it's a completion of what God has been saying for thousands of years. This is glory or full revelation. This man holds up the baby and goes, Finally it makes sense. In a baby. I have never held up a baby and thought, Life makes sense. It doesn't happen that way for me. But indeed, this child, Jesus, he holds him up, and he all of a sudden, everything makes sense. The Gentiles can be freed. The Jews can be rescued. This is what he's been talking about the whole time, and he's super excited about it. So again, I tried to capture this as well. He says, now arrives another family bringing the offering simply. No pomp and circumstance, no divine romance. Just another spiritual pilgrimage of religious fealty. A carpenter and his bride brush my side. In a moment, the thunder of heaven explosively whispers to me, This is he. Silence is shattered. Heaven opens to sing, This is the healer. Holy is he. No one else takes note at the sound of heaven's praise, ending the night and bringing the day. No king to bow, encourage to raise the song. No mass or throng. Only myself and the prophetess Anna hear the sound of salvation's song. Oh, thank you, my God and king, confronted by humility. I see the king of glory's majesty. For in him lay the hope of nations, the end of our religious frustrations. He has come. The healer has come to his temple. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Finally, Sabbath, that holy communion with God from whence springs life. Sabbath is here. He will rescue. He will bring an end to the pretense of religion rescuing us from our self-exalted righteousness. In Him, our hope is renewed to true standards, rest with God restored. He remains silent no longer. Here, we have the voice of God calling the healer to rescue us from our falling state and replace the strife with a life of grace. So Simeon stands before the Lord and proclaims this great thing. And then in verse 33, he continues with the father and mother kind of off to the side. So he blesses the child. I imagine gives the child back. I, I, think, I think Joseph probably took the child back. <laughs> yeah, right? And took him back. And thank you, thank you. All right, thanks. You know, you know that motion? This one? You know that motion? Anybody who's ever had a kid that's taking them to a crowded church knows this motion. Thank you, thank you. This is a very kind way of saying, go away. Right? That's, thank you. When you see this, if, you're, if you don't have a kid and you see somebody holding their kid and they go, thank you, that's, turn around. Like, go, go the other way. So I imagine Joseph doing this and Mary is just pondering all that's given to her because this is her nature. She ponders everything. She's constantly pondering. And it, Simeon continues, and, and his father and mother were marveled. Now, this isn't marveled like surprised. This is marveled like awe. Awe. Wow. That's amazing. What you just said is incredible. Wow. And so 
marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus is going to bring difficulty to earth. Sinful people are going to rebel against the message of Jesus Christ. Indeed, that is what we see in our country, in our world. Sinful people rebel against the truth, the love, grace of Jesus Christ. Yet He still comes, not to destroy, but to give salvation. What a great God who would stand amidst the rebellious people and bring salvation. Finally, verse 36, the prophetess Anna joins him. We don't have um, time to unpack everything in this passage. We'll look at it briefly again next week. But here it says, And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. I love that about Luke. Luke is so kind to women. He's constantly saying things like, She was a person old. She's advanced in years, doesn't tell you how old she is. In fact, the next passage, the next part where it does articulate her age is, is ambiguous in Greek and kind of goes either way. And you could say she's 87, you could say she's 97, you could say she's 70-something. So he just kind of leaves it ambiguous and loose, even though your translators have tried to do the work for you and say she's about 84, um, somewhere in between 70 and 100, somewhere in there. That's what that phrase phrasing means. Um, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So she's been a widow for a long time. Having lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, or for 84 years, or for 80-something years, or for different years. So this is Luke's very kind way of saying she's just elderly. She's an old lady. Um, and then... Uh, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up on that very hour. So she has been devout as well. Like Simeon, God meets her in her devotion. Same way. You want to meet with God? Be devout. It may take 84 years of devout worship before you have the epiphany moment. But God is faithful to fulfill His promises and he will speak. That very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now for a moment, let's revel in the fact that God uses two elderly, devout saints who have been waiting patiently in silence for a long, long time to be the first in the temple to proclaim Jesus Messiah. Your devotion, O Christian, is not overlooked by God. Though it may feel like it at times, though you may feel tired and weary, our devotion to gather, to meet, to worship, is not overlooked by God. Your constant evangelism to your neighbors who reject the message is not overlooked by God. I have to confess, I invite probably 8 to 10 people a week to church. Often, 
people in the grocery store. Or on a walk with my dog. Often brand new, random people who seem interested. But I have learned that people are awful. And they tell you they'll come and they don't. And you just keep being faithful to teach the gospel and to share. Why? Because this is life or death. Because this is everything. God has not overlooked your obedient, faithful devotion to Him. And in time, we will see the glory of it. Like Anna and Simeon. Hold fast to what the Lord has called you to do. Hold fast. For Jesus Christ has come to be revealed to the Gentiles. And He is the glory of Israel. And all will see. And all will bow. And all will know that He is King. And that He is Lord.